Well, my name is Mark Hoffman, and uh, it is a privilege to open the Word of God together and um, to receive from Him. So I just feel like I, I'd like to pray again, if you don't mind. Lord, we do want to hear from Your Word today. We, we're not here to hear my words. We're here to hear Your Word today, Lord. We just pray that Your Word would would drill down deep into our hearts and that it would bear fruit in us and that we would glorify you in it. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, I am uh, very privileged and thankful to serve alongside some really wonderful teams of people here at Meadows. I, uh, I am the director of worship, so I get to serve with the worship team and the, the tech team, and um, I also get to serve on a great staff team with Susan and Mary. I'm one of the elders, so I get to serve on a fantastic uh, elder team, and now I've uh, been drawn into another team, which has been a real blessing, the, the, the preaching team. And as you've heard the guys come up and preach, you've heard how much of a blessing it's been for them. And it has been for me, too, to get together with these men and to open the word together and to talk together and to pray together and, and most especially to eat dessert together. Um, it has been a fantastic experience, and um, I'm loving every minute of it and, and looking forward to continuing. Well, before we dig into today's passage, which is, uh, we're beginning Mar uh, Matthew chapter 2 and the, the story of the visit of the wise men, just wanted to uh, test your knowledge a little bit with a true or false quiz. So let's see how you do, okay? First question, the Bible tells us that there were three wise men, true or false? false. Very good, false. The Bible records that the wise men brought three gifts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there were three wise men, but that has been kind of the tradition. Uh, some traditions say that there might have even been 12 wise men, more or less. They, they really don't know how many wise men there were. Okay, let's try this one. The wise men brought gifts of gold, frankincense, and tree sap. True or false? <laughs> well, it's a trick question. It's actually true. Uh, myrrh is a dried sap. It's a tree resin. Gotcha. Um, and it comes from the bark of certain small thorn trees that grow in Africa and Asia. And uh, it's used for incense and, and it was used for perfume and it was very, very costly at the time. All right, last question. When the wise men visited Jesus, the Bible says they found him as a newborn baby in a stable wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. True or false? That is false. The wise men did not show up at the, as the same time as the, the shepherds. There's debate about when exactly Jesus was born, but it seems certain the wise men showed up sometime later, maybe even up to two years after Jesus was born. And in this part of the Christmas story, we actually see the wise men finding the baby Jesus in a house and not in the stable. Well, regardless of how well you did on the quiz today, and there was one trick question, so I'll take responsibility for that. The story of the visit of the wise men is a familiar part of the Christmas story to all of us, right? We've grown up hearing this popular tale of these wealthy and learned men traveling from afar to visit the baby Jesus and to lay their treasures before him. 
And we could just read the story on the surface and leave it at that, but we dig a little deeper and we see that the story is begging us to ask the question, true or false? Because as we look more closely at the biblical narrative, we see Matthew painting for us a picture of contrast between truth and falsehood that is both instructive and inspiring. So as we focus our attention today on this passage of Scripture, we'll see a picture emerge of truth. The true king, God's true word, and his true believers. So let's dig in. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. If you're using a pew Bible today, you'll find that on page 1026. The Bible's a big book. Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. All right, let's go back to the beginning and start walking through the story verse by verse. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, Herod the king. Well, right away in verse 1, we are introduced to some main characters in this part of the Christmas story, beginning with Jesus and Herod the king. Well, who is Jesus, first of all? Well, looking back at just the first chapter of this gospel of Matthew, we already know a bit about Jesus. Jesus is called son of David, the son of Abraham. He's a direct descendant of these men who had special covenant relationship with and calling from the Lord. That's Jesus' lineage. We're told that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the promised Messiah. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's foretold by prophets. He's proclaimed by angels. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, sent to save his people from their sins. This is Jesus. So who is King Herod? Herod the king. Matthew's readers might have known a little bit about Herod the king. He was also known as Herod the Great. 
He's portrayed by historians as a talented and effective ruler, a man who was, a, who was skilled as a soldier and as a politician and as a builder. In fact, many of Herod's ambitious building projects are familiar fixtures throughout the New Testament, including his magnificent temple in Jerusalem. Although Herod was raised Jewish, he was not ethnically Jewish. He was an Idumean, which is to say that he was an Edomite. And the Edomites were descendants of Esau. So if you think back again to the genealogy of Christ presented in the first chapter of Matthew, verse 2 says Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac was the father of Jacob and Esau. And right there, way back there, is where Herod's lineage departs from the family tree of Jesus Christ. At this time, of course, the Roman Empire was in control. And in 37 BC, the Roman Senate appointed Herod to be king of the Jews. Herod did his best to portray himself as the legitimate Jewish king in the tradition of David and Solomon. In fact, his grand renovation of the temple was part of that effort. But Herod also embraced the pagan culture and practices of the Romans. And most of his Jewish subjects considered him to be an offensive and irreligious and illegitimate king seated wrongfully on the throne of David and propped up by an oppressive foreign regime. As a result, Herod was dangerously paranoid of losing his great power. And out of his insane jealousy, his brutal lust for power, he routinely executed anyone whom he saw as a threat, including his own wife, his brother-in-law, and his three sons. I ran across this story. Herod was so ruthless and self-absorbed, of course, he knew that no one would be too terribly upset when he died. So he issued an order which stated that upon the event of his death, certain highly regarded and prominent Jewish leaders, well-liked, were to be rounded up and executed just to ensure that the people would be in mourning when Herod died. That's the kind of guy Herod was. So right away we're presented right here with two claims to the throne, Herod the king and Jesus born king of the Jews. So Herod the Great, seated on the throne of David, leader of God's chosen people, rightful king of the Jews, true or false? False. Who is the true king? Jesus. Jesus is the true king. Matthew is clearly drawing a distinction right away here. And soon we will see God's true word backing up that distinction. But first, the text goes on. The hold wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. So now we're introduced to the wise men, or the magi. The identity of these men is not really fully known. The word often translated as wise men in our English Bibles is actually the word magi. And the word is where we get our English word magic from. Like court magicians they were. 
uh, refers broadly to well-educated class of men who are interested in a whole host of subjects, including dreams and interpretation of dreams and astrology and magic and prophecy. And the text says they came from the east. Also not known for certain where they came from, many scholars would say that they probably came from Babylon or Persia. And this trip for them would have taken weeks to complete. It was a long way to get from there to Jerusalem. We'll talk more later about the star that they saw. But for now, we see that somehow through their observation of the stars, perhaps their study of ancient prophetic writings, that they had determined that this star was the star of the king of the Jews. It was his star. And during this time and place in history, Mark alluded to this last week, there was a great sense of expectation and anticipation of a Jewish Messiah, a savior king who would come to deliver his people. And what was the stated purpose of the Magi? Why did they come? They came to worship the king. Now this doesn't necessarily mean that these magi recognized the deity of Christ and came to worship him as a god. But this Greek word for worship, proskuneo, does mean to prostrate oneself or bow in recognition of another's high rank or position, which would have been customary for these men coming before royalty as they were. Let's go on. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Well, first of all, it makes sense that the Magi would go to Jerusalem as the, the royal and religious center of Israel to seek the king of the Jews. So they pr probably created a big stir as they came into the city because on a trip as long as theirs, taking weeks upon weeks to complete, they most likely had a huge caravan of people and animals, yes, possibly, probably camels, carrying all of their stuff for this huge journey to Jerusalem. And so they get to Jerusalem, and what do they do? Well, they start asking questions. They start asking around, where is the king of the Jews? Where's the newborn king? We saw his star. Where is is he? So now there's a buzz in Jerusalem. So why do you think that Jerusalem, all of Jerusalem, was troubled? Well, because Herod the king found out. Herod was troubled. And when Herod is troubled, you know the people are going to be troubled too. They know what kind of a guy he is. And Herod is now hearing that there is another king of the Jews and it's not him. Not merely an appointed king, but the anointed king, king of the Jews at his very birth. Once again, Herod finds his power threatened, and he's troubled. The word troubled here in the text means agitated or causing inward commotion, taking away calmness of mind, restless and disturbed. Herod was very troubled, 
And so all the people were troubled too. So what does Herod do? Verse 4 says, He assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. Okay, so who are these guys? The chief priests and the scribes. Well, the priests, of course, they served in the temple. And the high priest, while sharing many of the same duties as the other priests, only the high priest would preside over the Sanhedrin, which was the Supreme Council. And according to Old Testament law, only the high priest, once a year on the Day of Atonement, would enter the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices both for his own sins and for the sins of the people. Now the high priests in the Old Testament had to be of the tribe of Aaron and descended from the high priestly family. Their lineage mattered too. But by this time, kings like Herod would just choose whoever they wanted to be high priest. Basically based on who would tell them tell him what he wanted to hear and who would provide for him the most political advantage. So as you can imagine, there was kind of a lot of turnover in the high priest position during Herod's reign. As for the scribes, they were, as you would expect, writers and copyists. They wrote copies of the Jewish scriptures, and of course they studied the scriptures and taught them and taught their interpretation. They may have also had some official uh, duties in the kingdom, such as copying and writing documents for the king. So Herod gathered all these men, the chief priests, which would have probably been whoever was high priest at the time, and then all these other ex-high priests, I guess you would call them, and then the, the scribes. And what does he want to know? Verse 4, he goes on, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Herod knows what's going on. He knows exactly the right question to ask. He knows that all signs are pointing to the Messiah, to the Christ, the promised king of Israel, the true king. So he asks the priests and the scribes. These are the people who would know the answer, right? And here's what they say in verse 5 and 6. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, the priests and the scribes totally nailed it. Not only do they pick out the scripture that indicates the birthplace of the Christ, it also confirms that this newborn king is the fulfillment of the messianic kingship of David and the covenant promises made to him. This prophecy is actually found in Micah, Micah chapter 5, in verse 2. And Micah prophesied this about 700 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And Micah 5.2 says this, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Here we see God's true word pointing to the true king to be born in Bethlehem. 
which is the city of David, the ancient birthplace of David. Here it is confirmed that the Christ is from the tribe of Judah and a descendant of King David, the same King David with whom God made a covenant, saying in 2 Samuel chapter 7, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is God's covenant spoken to David and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But back to the scripture that the priests and the scribes are quoting here, to Herod, there's reference to the prophecy in Micah and also reference to another story. When they say, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, they seem to have in mind 2 Samuel chapter 5. King David, once again. And in this story, we find David being anointed as king. It says this, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel. There it is. And you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed King David over Israel. The priests and the scribes, they got it right, didn't they? All of this is God's true word pointing to Jesus Christ, a picture of the Messiah to come. King David declared by the Lord to be shepherd of his people, replacing the rejected king and making a covenant with his people, being anointed as king over Israel. All, is, all of this is a picture of Jesus Christ who came to be the shepherd of his people, anointed to be the true king, and who also makes a covenant with his people, a new covenant in his blood shed on the cross to save his people from their sins once and for all. I will see more validation from God's true word pointing to the true king a bit later. But first... Contrast all of this truth with the false words and the false motives of the false king, Herod. Verse 7 goes on, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Really, does anybody believe that? He is a liar. He claims the Magi's mission as his own. He says that he wants to worship Jesus too. But we know that's not what Herod is all about. He's already murdered people from his own family in order to secure his power and cling 
to the title of king. So Herod is sending these magi away on a, a, an information-gathering mission, secretly, because he has a devious plot in mind. Now that comes later. Drew gets to preach on that story. But we move on. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, the magi. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Did the wise men know what was going on? Were they wise to Herod's plot? Well, we don't really know. But they do continue on. They're traveling at night, headed towards Bethlehem probably quite relieved to have escaped their encounter with King Herod. It was customary for them to travel at night like this, so this was not unusual. But what was unusual certainly is this star. So let's talk about this star. Now you could study for days, let me tell you, you could study for days trying to figure out what this star is. And you would find so many different opinions about the star. Was it a planetary conjunction? Was it a supernova? Was it a mass of comets? Was it some combination of all of these things? Was it strictly a supernatural uh, phenomenon? Well, Scripture doesn't really say. So all of these theories are just theories. But here's what we do know about the star. What we do know is that these magi were convinced that this star was something special and was leading them to a very special king. Remember, they had come seeking he who has been born king of the Jews. They had seen his star. Perhaps they had seen the star and connected it to the ancient oracle of Balaam found in Numbers chapter 24, which says, a star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Perhaps they connected that even further back to the messianic prophecy found in Genesis 49.10, as Israel, or Jacob, speaks blessing over his son Judah, saying, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Again, we don't know for sure. But we do know that the star prompted them to travel a great distance to seek the one who was born king of the Jews. We also know they apparently lost sight of the star until it appeared again to them as they were on the way to Bethlehem. And the text says it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Whatever the scientific explanations might be, I think Matthew makes it clear that God himself is orchestrating all of this. Using the star, God is leading men from far away to worship the true King, Jesus Christ. And verse 10 tells us that when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's quite a description. 
they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And as I tried to imagine, okay, what, what does that feel like? What does rejoicing exceedingly with great joy feel like? So I started to think back to an experience I had it was over 20 years ago now. It's the late 90s, and the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, that is undisputed. <laughs> Thank you, Seth. I was hoping for at least one. Michael Jordan opened a restaurant in Chicago. Michael Jordan's restaurant. It's not there anymore, as you can tell by the cars in front there. And my sister-in-law, Michelle, Jean's sister, was a huge Michael Jordan fan back in those days. I think still is. Huge Michael Jordan fan. She lived up in Minneapolis at the time, and so she uh, had made a trip down to visit us. And of course, when she was with us, we made plans to take a day to go into the city and go to Michael Jordan's restaurant. And that was exciting. In and of itself, it was exciting. But even more exciting was the fact that there was a buzz around this restaurant that had opened. It was relatively new. And rumor had it that you know, every once in a while, MJ would show up to eat at his restaurant. So if you went to Michael Jordan's restaurant and it was your lucky day, you might just see the greatest basketball player of all time, Michael Jordan, walk in and eat at his restaurant. So you can imagine we're pretty excited to go. And as I thought back to that experience of excitement, I thought, okay, how much more exciting would it have been if it had gone down like this? Michelle makes the trip from Minneapolis all the way down to Chicago, stays the night with us, we get up the next day, we're like going to Michael Jordan's restaurant, get in the car, start driving, get on the expressway, course, we're fighting typical Chicago traffic, right? All the cars, and we're driving. What if we happen to look over and passing by along, we see a limousine? Tinted windows, big old stretch limo. They pass us, and we get a glimpse of the license plate, and it says MJ23. What? Okay, is this really happening? So we've got to keep sight of the limo, right? So don't, don't lose it, don't lose it, right? Traffic, oh, they're getting ahead. Oh, we lost sight of the limo. Where is it? Probably driving recklessly at this point. Don't do that. We catch sight of the limo again. There it is, there it is. Got to keep up, got to keep up. It exits at our exit. We follow the limo all the way to Michael Jordan's restaurant where it, where it pulls in behind into a private lot. So as we park our car on the street and go running into our table, do you think we're a little bit excited? Do you think maybe we're rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, thinking that we're going to go and perhaps see Michael Jordan? We're rejoicing. We haven't even seen him yet. But we're rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. Now, 
full disclosure, it didn't really happen that way. <laughs> we did go to Michael Jordan's restaurant. We had a very nice meal. Um, I think I got a t-shirt. It doesn't look good anymore. And um, we did not see a limo or Michael Jordan. But I think this helps us to imagine the kind of excitement that these magi were feeling, right? After all of their studying and seeking and journeying and searching and coming before a power-mad king and losing the star and finding it again, we see these men bursting with joy as they celebrate their arrival at the dwelling place of the king. And they haven't even seen him yet. And they didn't just rejoice, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And realizing that they had been the, led to the one that they were seeking, they did what they came to do. They worshipped the king. Verse 11. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So finally the Magi can do what they had traveled all this way for, to worship the newborn king. They bowed down on the ground. They literally fell to their knees and touched their heads to the ground in a show of profound reverence and respect to Jesus. And they opened their treasures, offering lavish and expensive gifts befitting a king. God had led these men safely to King Jesus, and he wasn't going to let them fall into the trap of Herod. So the Lord led them again, not by a star this time, but by warning them in a dream. And so these wise men took the safe way home, probably the long way home, back to the east where their journey began. There's so much that could be said about the Magi and their worship and their gifts at this point. But before we look closer at them, if we zoom out and look at the big picture of these events, we'll notice another connection to the fulfillment of the true word of God. Because really this visit of the Magi is an acting out of the prophetic word of God right before our eyes. Just as we saw the messianic promises to David fulfilled, let's not forget that in the genealogy of chapter 1, Matthew makes a point to call Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham, for a reason. Here we see a picture of God's covenant with Abraham being fulfilled as well. We can see it in many places, but if we look at Genesis chapter 22, we see it in yet another story from the Old Testament. When Abraham is willing to sacrifice his son Isaac, but God provides the sacrifice and then reaffirms his covenant with Abraham saying in verses 17 and 18, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. 
and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. All the nations. The people of Israel, yes. And even a nation of pagan astrologers in the east. All nations will be blessed through Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, because God's plan was to draw people from every tribe and nation and tongue to Jesus Christ. Or listen to the words of God's prophet Isaiah, spoken again about 700 years before this. This is Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense. They shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. It's remarkable. This is happening. We could read the first chapter and a half of Matthew and just gloss over the genealogy because, well, you know, it's a list of names. And we could kind of skim over the story of the birth of Jesus and the story of the wise men because those are stories we're familiar with. Those We've been hearing those ever since we were kids. But as we've been digging deep into the word the past few weeks, it's hard to miss Matthew's point. It's as if Matthew is shouting at the top of his voice, Behold King Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the promised Messiah from God's true word, Behold your true King. The truth is so clear. It's clear to every single person in this narrative. But not everyone actually responds rightly to the truth. Who does? It's the Magi. I think Matthew wants us to take note of these Magi that they paint for us a picture of true believers. And this is where I think our scripture text brings forth both some warnings and also some applications for us today. Looking again at the characters that we've seen in this story, King Herod, true believer, true or false? False. All Herod cared about was himself. He knew that this newborn king was the Christ, the promised Messiah, the rightful king 
of God's people, but Herod didn't want anyone but himself sitting on the throne. Jesus was a threat to his personal sovereignty. And let's be honest, we live in a culture today that teaches us to think and to act and to treat ourselves like we're royalty. Sitting on our thrones, ruling over the kingdoms that we've constructed for ourselves. We sit enthroned over my money, my career, my image, my brand, my time, my identity, my life. Sure, we can be quick to see King Herod as the bad guy, but this attitude looks just as bad on us as it did on him. This is a warning for us against the sin of pride and self-exaltation. There's only room for one person on the throne, and it rightfully belongs to King Jesus. But thankfully, we can repent of our pride and turn to Christ and find forgiveness because King Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Well, what about the priests and the scribes? Were they true believers? Well, they knew their Bibles. I'm certain they worked hard to maintain their religious system. They knew about the Messiah. They just weren't too interested in knowing the Messiah or seeking after him. They could have gone. They didn't. This is a warning for us, too. We should be very careful that we aren't going through the motions, checking the boxes of of church attendance, Bible reading plan, serving in my ministry, all the while neglecting to seek after Jesus, to talk to him, to hear from him, to know and love and become like him. This is a warning against the sin of legalism and empty religion. But praise the Lord, we can repent of our legalism and our empty religion and turn to Christ and find forgiveness because King Jesus came to save his people from their sins. So then, who in this story do we see painted as a picture of true believers the wise men, right? It's the Magi. And I think Matthew wants all of us, believers and non-believers alike, to relate to these wise men. First, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope you can identify with these wise men. Because just as they were seeking answers in the stars, Maybe you're searching. Maybe you're looking for something that's missing in your life. Maybe you don't even know what it is, but there's something off. There's a void. 
Maybe you're interested in the claims of Christianity, but you're skeptical or unsure. Just like the Magi, I would say that you're on a journey too. Whether you're ready to acknowledge it or not, God is at work in your life right now on the journey that he has set out for you. And the journey that he desires is to lead you to Jesus. He is leading you to Jesus. And I know this because you're here right now. This might be the first step of your journey, or you might have been heading in this direction for quite a while. But here you are hearing the true word of God proclaiming the true King Jesus Christ. That is not an accident. Can I just encourage you not to merely keep seeking the truth, although that is important. But also to be aware that God is real and he is at work in your life in the big things, in the little things, leading you on a journey to find the truth. Because he wants you to find Jesus, the one who came to save people from their sins. People like you, people like me, and people like all of us in this room. Our mission here at Meadows Christian Fellowship is helping people to know, love, and become like Jesus Christ. Would you just talk to someone here today about that? Ask them what that means. And then I would just ask, would you please come back here? Because we, as a church, want to walk this journey with you. And church... As believers in Jesus Christ, Matthew wants us to relate to the wise men as well. They are the true believers in this story. Now, the Bible doesn't say that these men had a conversion experience and received saving faith in Christ. The scripture is frankly silent on that point, and where the scripture is silent, we need to be careful not to speak. But look at the picture being painted here of the Magi. These men were far from Christ. And yet God graciously reached out to them in a miraculous way to lead them as far as they needed to go to find Jesus. And when they came to the true king, their reaction was to rejoice exceedingly with great joy and to fall down before him in worship and to give him all the best that they had to offer. This is our story too. This is who God has called us to be. So as we leave this place and as we go about yet another busy Christmas week, Will you take time just as a personal act of worship to remember your journey to Christ? Just as Paul calls us to remember in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, therefore remember. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were all living far off in the east. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God has provided the sacrifice, a new covenant in his blood. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. True believer in Christ, the journey of the wise man is a picture of our journey to Christ too. No matter when you were saved by faith, no matter what your circumstances, no matter how old you were, no matter how young you were, coming to faith in Jesus Christ is a miraculous and gracious work of God. And like the Magi, that is a reason to rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Amen? As Peter writes, rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. True believers are led by God's true word to love and to serve the true King, Jesus Christ. It's a journey that continues even now as we walk day by day in faith with Christ Jesus our Lord. So this Christmas, like the wise men, Let's remember our journey of faith to Christ. Let's rejoice exceedingly in it. And let's keep seeking after Jesus Christ. Seeking Him. Worshiping Him as King. And giving Him the best that we have to give. Let's pray. Lord, this is our prayer today. That we would remember how far we were from Christ. But that we would also rejoice that you have brought us near. Oh, Lord, draw us closer and closer to Christ Jesus this Christmas season. Let us follow the example of the wise men, continually seeking Christ, falling before him in worship, offering him the best of ourselves because he is the true king. Oh God, we pray that you would do this work in us as a church and as individuals and that you would receive all the glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.